0: Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name.
1: The Incomparable, number 263, September 2015.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Stell. We're here to talk about summer TV, and in particular, I feel like the summer of 2015 is going to be remembered for two very interesting uh, TV series that that ran entirely this summer. uh, Their first season's intriguing stuff on uh, AMC in the United States, humans, and on USA in the United States, Mr. Robot. Two very interesting shows, as was pointed out on Twitter to us today. Humans, very interesting story about robots, Mr. Robot. Very interesting story about humans. Go figure. It's like they planned it. Joining me to talk about these TV series are uh, three very interesting people. David Lore is out there. Hello.
0: Hello. Uh, it, it reminds me, why do we park on a driveway and drive on a parkway?
2: John
1: Syracuse is also here. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about Mr. Robot and its crazy episode titles.
0: Yes.
2: Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. And Merlin Mann is here. Hi, Merlin. Hello, friend. Hello, friend.
3: That, that was lame. <laughs>
2: Do we start uh, with uh, Mr. Robot? I'm going to fire off the spoiler horn very soon because it needs to be done. But you can consult the show notes if you f- want to find out how far ahead you need to skip if you want to hear us talk about humans but not get spoiled, uh, spoiled about Mr. Robot. But before we get started with with the spoilers, at least worth saying, Mr. Robot is, uh, runs on USA. USA, you may know it as uh, what uh, famous for what they are called the blue sky shows. Friendly, like the monk. You know, Monk, he's a friendly guy. That's where characters are welcome. Characters are welcome. Everybody <laughs> has a good time. Mysteries are solved. Nobody gets too hurt. It's just a nice comfort food of television, and recently uh, USA decided that the blue skies uh, approach wasn't good enough for them. wasn't wasn't uh, growing their uh, audience, and they wanted a little more edge. So they invented something stupid called the Silver Linings TV, which is not a thing that exists and is dumb. But what it did was they 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 uh, tried to get some shows with more of an edge, and Mr. Robot was one of those and it, it is uh, created by a guy named sam esmail who had done uh some uh, uh written some uh well thought of movie screenplays one of which was produced one of which was famously i guess not produced but loved by people who read it and yet hollywood never made and uh and he got uh he got the power to run the this show for usa and and uh, make mr robot and the result is a very um i'd say peculiar um skewed kind of tv show not like what i expected to see i honestly watched it most to to gauge um how bad its technology was (laughs) just like how bad the tech was in it and in the end my verdict on that was that it was as good as one could probably expect from a actual dramatic tv show about computer things but um what it was unexpected for me anyway was uh, how great it was, quite frankly. How how ridiculously entertaining and interesting it was. So, what what did you all think of uh, Mister Robot?
3: Um, I thought it was terrific. I, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. The the title alone really. Yeah. G- Grossly lowered my expectations. Is it a documentary about sticks? <laughs> well, you and your pal Tim Goodman like the joke about you know CSI Cyber and what's the other one? What's the other one? That, Scorpion. Uh, <laughs> Scorpion. Scorpion. <laughs> yeah, where you know I the Ethernet. I, let's run an Ethernet cable to the plane as it right. passes overhead. <laughs> sure. I can't, Isolate I can't, torso. <laughs> <laughs> I can't SSH my way out of a wet paper bag, but I but I do know terrible technology when I see it, and uh, that can be real frustrating. And you know, uh, I guess I'll just say the thing I often say when when it's something I end up liking uh, to, to use Syracuse's term, you know, high degree of difficulty. A lot of ways this could have gone horribly, horribly wrong. Um, just I, I think it's it's conceptual. See, well, another concern. You know, gosh, this seems so timely. Everybody's worried about the hacking. Am I going to get hacked in the cloud? You know, and you know, just felt like, oh, this could be just another kind of throwaway. But what the heck? It looks interesting. It's got the guy from that Night at the Museum movie. Let's give it a throw. And uh, and I was the I was utterly uh, enchanted uh, by the pilot. I thought it was incredibly absorbing. I I, I, I thought the pacing was great. I thought. Uh, again, something you and Tim have talked about on your other program is that this show really hangs on, um, the guy who plays, uh, Elliot, who I just thought was terrific, but the rest of the cast is, is, is great. And I don't know. I found it incredibly absorbing in ways that I didn't even expect. And it knew, I guess, I guess I feel like it really knew. Which buttons to hit at which times to keep the tension high and keep the interest high, and knowing when to introduce what are ultimately very complex human and mental and emotional issues, even in the midst of all of this, you know, people typing in a terminal. Um, I I thought it was I thought it was pretty terrific.
1: I think the only spoiler-free things I can say about it are to the people listening and uh, to. Uh, The point of what Merlin made before, when I heard people talking about Mr. Robot for the longest time, probably days or weeks, I thought it was a comedy and I was not interested.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's like another Silicon Valley, you know,
1: Mr. Robot is not a good title for this show. Uh, If you have don't know what we're talking about and have been staying away through the show because of the title, ignore the title. It's a it's a good show and it's really interesting and it is not a comedy at all. Um. Although it has some uh, amusing parts in it, uh, and yeah, I mean, well, I, I think we want to talk. I want to talk more about what the show looks like and how it's shot and how it's written. But it's pretty much impossible to do that without revealing stuff. Oh, so yes. I'll say. Uh, I guess the only thing I can add is uh, also I like remember when said. I love the lead actor in yeah, this Rami show. Malek. He, is, he looks weird. He is weird. He acts weird. I've never right. seen him in anything else, so I don't know if he's a great actor or if this is just what the actor is like. And all the supporting cast, the people I have seen before, uh, I really like. And the people who are new just fit so perfectly. its It's the magic of a show that doesn't have big names associated with it, but has good performances all around and is well written. Uh, So, you know, you've heard people talk about Mr. Robot. Maybe it's a little bit overhyped. It's quirky and it's weird. I would say it's it's my for a variety of reasons that I'll get into a little bit. It's uh, for this year. It's my what girls was to me like last year or the year before Mm -hmm. the strange quirky show with a with a so so title that you hear people talking about it. If you're not sure if it's for you, Uh, if you like girls. Check this out, too.
2: I'd say I I was going to liken it to Orphan Black from a couple of years ago where Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. And, you know, I'm not sure if they can pull this off. And I got kind of got pulled in and further in and further in. By the end of it, I was like, oh, no, this is great. And uh, that was sort of the the my expectations were particularly high. And I was a little skeptical. And uh, then it kind of it kind of sucked me in.
3: Yeah, it's it's funny to think about, you know, uh, I don't know if the word is treatment or just even in the script. But I, I, I can't even imagine how you would describe. Let's say you're doing the, the casting and you're talking to the casting people about what you want this actor to accomplish, um, you know. If you were to describe the sorts of things that this actor does so well as Elliot, it it would – it would sound like a like a caricature. I mean, it would sound almost like a like a like a baggy pants kind of vaudeville idea of like some kind of like you know one of those autistic programmers. But he brings so much nuance to it. And again, I might be cribbing this from Tim Goodman, but the way that he can look both dead eyed and bug eyed at the same time <laughs> is is a, is a terrific. It's the know, dead door- bug eyes. But he's got. But you we, you've met Elliot, and we've all yep. we know Elliot. Some of us are Elliot. Mm-hmm. We've we've been around Elliot, and we know that it's not really just as simple as oh, it's that crazy guy who fixes the computer like he brings he brings a lot to it It, it's when you realize the you're talking to somebody and and the
2: lack of affect that you sense is potentially either an actual lack of affect they don't you know they're not reacting to you, or it is completely the deer in the headlights, and I, and and I, I I have that experience sometimes, and and that's what I always got from Elliot is like what's back there, what's behind them, and one of the brilliant things I think about the pilot episode is that it plays, I feel like it plays us, the sh- whole show plays us, and we will talk to that after we fire off the spoiler horn, but the pilot plays us perfectly in in ex- it expects us to make. Every single assumption about what you just said, it's the kind of aus- autistic, you know, somewhere on the spectrum, computer nerd programmer guy. You, ex- you know, those cliches are, are, are programmed into us and then it just kind of knocks them all down as it goes. And you realize what you're seeing is a, a much more interesting performance and much more interesting character than the one that you might have expected from, you know, some basic cable show about that's supposed to be about hackers right on on USA on USA yes yeah that's the other thing
1: I'll say if you're scared away because you think this is a TV show about hackers it kind of is a TV show about hackers but do not be scared yeah. by that because it <laughs> it does not it does not it the traps it falls into are the common ones, but it's just not important. Like I think what I first right. tweeted about the show was that it rises above all of its technical problems because the technology is not the point. The, the people who made the show did not get bogged down in like, we have to make this realistic, and it's, it's a human drama that right. happens. The setting happens to be hacking. Don't worry about it. Even if you're a computer right. nerd, I think everything else that's good about the show will make you ignore the admittedly laughable times they t- touch on technology.
2: But that's fine. It's not the point of the show. Let's before we blow the horn here, I feel like the people who I want to get your read on this, John, because if there's anybody who can who can address this for me, it's you. I felt like this was about as good uh, in terms of like you know, you're generally right. You're generally on the right track about like the tech that they did show. I didn't have those moments of initially like, no, it's not like that at all. It was more yeah, like, there's, oh, there's, there's some of those in the first episode. Yeah, which... but some of that, like the, the, like the, even just like the terminal commands and stuff, I felt like this is in the ballpark. And I realized that's a low bar because of Scorpion and CSI Cyber. <laughs> but I was like, whoever did this, like they, they knew what they were doing. And then the, the writer and producer were like yeah we're going to do what we need to do for drama and and if you really saw a hacking scene like the scene in the first episode that was not you know that was more realistic it would just be boring so i feel like yeah i'm going to give them a pass for that but i felt like underneath it all it was smart that it that it was not ludicrous with its its tech
1: in broad strokes the things that happen are all reasonable and plausible and drive the plot forward but they're not really the point in the minute details, they get lots of stuff wrong, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you all just right. you just forgive that because they don't dwell on it. There's not, it's not the point of the show at all. So don't be scared away, if even if you're someone who's into computers. Uh, don't be scared away
2: by the silly episode titles that are supposed to look like file names that are <laughs> ridiculous. I like that, though. I mean, it's like literally the episode titles are things you'd find on BitTorrent. <laughs> also, the cool 80s font, too, by the way. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's <right>. a Micronauts <laughs> font there. I'm just
3: saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean we're, we're we're you know probably pretty certain to upset or offend somebody with these terms but I mean I think it is they are they are actively we're, we're not saying these as a, as a pejorative I think right, there's no, no, right, there's, a, there's definitely first of all I think there's a definitely a, an attempt to an, at least initially portray this guy as not just having sort of mental and emotional disturbances but I think he he very much reads as somebody on on the spectrum Yeah and you know and I think it's a pretty fantastic time for us getting a better understanding of how it works when you're, you know, when you're talking about people being on the spectrum, because like, we're learning so much more. There's a great new book about this. Um, you know, people in my family, I, I, who are on the spectrum, a couple people in my family who I adore. Um, I mean, something that I'm hearing a lot of people talk about now that I learned a pretty long time ago is just because, you know, you talk to me and I'm I'm nodding and I'm making faces and I'm, you know, finishing your sentences that you know that I'm listening, even if I'm interrupting you. And in the case of some of these folks, <clears throat> it may seem like you say, like, like it's a deer in headlights. What we now know, though, is that those folks are maybe not appearing to even be listening to you, but they are picking up, they can be pick, not only be listening and assimilating information in a way that you would not, but that they're... I don't know. It's a it's a gift in some ways. So some of these folks oh, yeah. have are, are very gifted in what they're able to do with the information that they get. It's just that because their affect is non traditional, they end up getting pegged as, as you say, being being a robot. So I just right. you know, I want to be a little bit sensitive about that. But I think I with that said uh, I think that they are very much setting him up. Part of their way that they greatly disrupt our, our our expectations about Elliot are to go like, "Oh, I thought I knew this, and then I saw this." But you know what? That goes for a bunch of the characters. Like, you think you understand Darlene? You know, you probably you really don't understand really Darlene. Really don't. Yeah. And I and I like that. I like the fact that all the characters or most of the characters. If you
2: think you understand Wellick.
3: I, go well, away, run and, away <laughs> the, the thing I no love. one understands well, like, never show well at your business card <laughs> no. let 's just leave it though that you know we can just say, listen to these four nerds, like I can say with confidence, at, at least give the pilot a throw. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's really engrossing. And as with, you know, like, you know how, Jason, you know how we're always saying, like, at least I feel like I'm always saying, like, you know, check out Hawkeye and Saga. If you hate Hawkeye and you hate Saga, maybe comics aren't for you. <laughs> 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 at least give, the, at least give the, the pilot of this a throw. Because I, if, if you don't find it engrossing, you're probably not going to enjoy the show. But it, it may not be what you think. And I would say just at least give it a try. Yeah,
0: and, and, you know, kind of the point I was, I was kind of reaching towards and what the creator said point blank is, it's, it's not about being all twisty surprisey. Right. Don't get caught up in trying to solve this like a puzzle right. box. Yes. Yes. It's right. not that. Is not the point of it. This is not an M. Night Shyamalan
2: movie. Right. right. <laughs> there are some twists along the way. That's kind of not what the story is all about. This week, The Incomparable is brought to you by Duel. This is not a website where you schedule a duel with your nemesis to meet on the community green pistols at dawn uh no it's much more civilized this is the opening week of the nfl regular season that's american football for our non-american football knowing listeners and uh, I've, I've been playing fantasy football for many years now, actually, since high school. I've still got a league, the stupid fake league we play every year. But it's the traditional kind of fantasy where you uh, draft a team and have lineups every week. And at the end of the season, uh, somebody wins and maybe you throw some money in the kitty and uh, the winner takes that away. FanDuel is uh, more for our quick hit life that we live now. Also means that you don't have to commit to being involved grinding week in and week out. It's the leader in one week fantasy football. Uh, And there are more payouts than any other site. So you can enter a league for a week, uh, fees start at $1. Anyone can play. There are bigger uh, pay-ins and bigger payouts if you want to choose. But it's about a competition with the other people who are entering that pool. You pick a team. You don't have to um, uh, compete with other people for your favorite players, but you do have a salary cap. So you have to choose how to balance your stars with your more underappreciated players. Find the best balance that scores the most points in any given week. Very smart. I, uh, I used FanDuel a couple weeks ago during the preseason. Um, really nice interface face Interesting test of how you balance a salary cap lineup. Um, A lot of fun. So you should give it a try uh, by going to Fanduel.com. F-A-N-D-U-E-L. Again, this is not a battle between uh, two gentlemen from the 18th century who are going to uh, beat at each other with uh, little uh, hand-wavy fans at dawn. It's uh, fantasy football. Uh, Fanduel.com. F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Click the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use my code, which is incomparable. Sign up now. And if you're a new user, every dollar you deposit will be matched with up to $200 that gets earned as you play by FanDuel. So use the code INCOMPARABLE when you sign up. That's FANDUEL.com, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, where every day is a new season. And sign up today. Thank you to FanDuel for sponsoring the Incomparable. Okay, we're going to fire off the spoiler horn now. And uh, if you haven't watched Mr. Robot, go go watch it and then come back and listen to us talk about the rest of it.
3: This show sucks. (laughs) <laughs> they think
2: it's good but no now we now they know the truth oh well, we can start before we get into all the spoiler things
1: let's talk about something i wanted to talk about but i thought i couldn't talk about without spoiling yep. things is how this show looks and how it's shot which seems like it's totally oh, spoiler free yeah. but i kind of think it isn't i kind of think mm. it relates to the plot yeah. because it's not it, here's the things about it first it's clear that this does not have a game of thrones size budget most of the locations sure. are interiors there's some city streets outside That's basically it for the show. Like there's very little, it it seems like you could shoot it cheaply because you just need interiors of apartment buildings and office buildings, a couple of streets, very few
2: locations and you're done. I'd agree. The only, the only exception I would say is that it's very clearly shot in New York and they make a really good use of it being shot in New York. I feel like, um,
3: like I felt like we were in New York where, you know, when they shoot in Toronto. The dumping place is a real dumping place. You can see it on Google Maps. I
1: yeah. know, but like in terms of it's not like Games of Thrones with castles or dragons or CGI, lots of costumes or yes, location shots in the mountains or whatever, right? So and it's it's USA size budget, right? And yep. what can you really do with that budget to make a show interesting? And I was really impressed with how they made this show not look like other shows and look interesting and and weird. I think it's shot weirdly.
3: Oh it's yes. completely shot weirdly. My first I mean like from the first gosh, I don't know. I I don't have it in front of me, but from the first I want to say 5 minutes I thought wow, this this cat really likes David Fincher. It it really mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of the uh whoever is doing the cinematography and making a lot of the just decisions about a David Fincher movie. And then of course there's just the the, the framing, the, the the lighting and the framing. I mean, I feel like it's an affront to John Syracusa. When I watch this at home, I have to flip my TV into game mode to actually be able to watch it. It's so dark. Uh, it's, t- it's so dark. Your TV
1: dark. may be getting a little bit out of tune there, but like, yeah, the color grading is a lot like Fincher, but the framing is crazy pants. It like crazy it's, framing. It's I, like
3: in the lower lower third. Like oh, so often not, the head no, forget is about like about
1: thirds. He's in the he's in the lower one eighth of the screen. 17th. Like the yeah. only thing there's a head, and the head like is not even entirely visible. The ear is off screen and just peeking out the lower right corner of your 16 by 9 screen it's like a nose and an eyeball the whole rest of the screen is background
2: <laughs> todd vanderwerf has a good piece i link to it in the show notes you guys can check it out um it's on vox.com about it's called the uh uh Mr. Robot became an obsession thanks to one weird visual trick, which is funny. But it's the, it, it's it's splitting splitting this uh, you know the screen into threes vertically and horizontally. So you end up. But it a, is not the rule of thirds.
1: It is worse. I think yes. I mean, the rule so, of eighths. So this is the so it's
2: like a Brady Bunch kind of set of nine, and then you see these people on the extreme edges of the screen. And he's got some s- screenshots in the story that and, and it's absolutely true when you watch it. When I watched that first episode, I was and Merlin, you 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 mentioned this earlier. I was positive giddy, and which is why I think it's right to say watch episode one and see what you think. I was giddy. I was giddy for a few reasons. One is how I was constantly being subverted. All my expectations were just completely blown out of the water um, as I watched Elliot's behavior. And and one of the other ones is how is the visual stuff where I could not I could not believe what I was seeing. It's like, oh my god, what are they doing? This is crazy, and crazy in a good way, but totally not like anything I'd really seen on a, on a, certainly didn't expect from a TV show on the USA now.
1: And, and it's making its own visual language because it's mm-hmm. done with a purpose like it's not like they're arbitrarily
3: putting edges of the screens right it's not, it's not like it's not like Dutch Dutch angle or shaky camera it's not like they're doing some kind of a trick
1: or like crossing the line like where you, you right. always make sure that it's that guy's le- Right. so they have people having conversations and sometimes the speaker A is on the far left side of the screen and speaker, speaker B is on the far right side of the screen and sometimes like, like the heads if you take the, this, this, the frames from like showing the speaker and then showing the next speaker if the heads are close to each other I mean, I don't know if they're trying to do this. I'm trying to decode the thing. It's like the, the people are shown to be close to each other in this yes. moment. If the heads are far away, the people are are, are at a distance and that's there's something absolutely between it. them. That's absolutely and, what's yeah. going on. And I mean, that's that's the base, most basic level. And then beyond that, you start do, doing angles, you start doing who's above and who's below. And, I mean, it's a, something that every, you know, it, 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 the basics of cinematography, right? But done to such incredible extremes, and here's what here's what I think is amazing about the show. That it's done to such incredible extremes, and then... The stuff that's in basically the entire rest of your TV screen. 95% of your screen is covered with something that is not an actor. That stuff is interesting and cool, too. Like, it worked into the shot. It's not just like it's a blank background. It real And, again, it cheaply done. Really beautifully shot. Soft focus when they need it, showing enough of the background when they don't. And then, you know, the other thing that just makes me like, you know, I like Jason, I was a little giddy. That makes me uh, love the show even more. I love this about girls, too. And this is the reason I, I saw the connection besides like the, you know, quirky, low budget show or whatever is the big title. The title, Mr. Robot coming in. Every the- <laughs>
2: episode, the title placement and the credits placement is carefully done. Right. It's Impeccable. like it's part of the show. To Com- cu- culminating in that awesome episode around
1: seven ish or whatever it is, no episode six or five, the big one. I mean, you kind of see it coming, but it's like, oh, here it comes they're going to do it. They did it <laughs> with a <the> storefront. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. my god. Yes. What yeah. a what a payoff. Uh, that and then I guess that the final thing is the music, which is like this show. You mentioned the sh- the, the Mr. Robot is an eighties font. This whole show seems like an eighties show. It's mm. kind of weird that they have you know smartphones in it, right? The music, the, the weird swelling electronic music, the font, everything about it, just like. Warms the the heart of this 80s child, uh, which doesn't make sense for a show set in modern times, but it just does.
0: <laughs> well, and it's it's because part of part of what it is for me is that it's it's so visually arresting. I mean when I'm watching TV, a lot of the time I'm looking at my phone and making fun of what I'm watching and this I can't take my eyes off it because I want to see what it's gonna look like in the next scene or the next shot, right? And part of the reason is not just because it's weird, but because they're making these j- just sort of visual references to, to the styles of of things like Scorsese and Kubrick and David Fincher. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's amazing to look at. And and there's a great article by Matthew, uh, Matt Zoller Seitz, um, w- which his title is, Mr. Robot is not a great show yet. I don't quite agree with him, but... Uh, he he points out even more of those things. And I was so happy to see one of the things he points out is the opening scene of the second episode ends with music from Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, which... How random is that? But it fits. And, and when I was watching it, I went, I know that song! Why are you using it? That's insane!
3: What does that have to do with hacking?
0: But it fit perfectly. Certainly more mm. random than the
3: Pixies later, but... Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So what... Can I, can I ask, I mean, I, I, it's Always. funny cause I, 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 well, I mentioned this to Dan on back to work where we got in so much trouble for supposedly spoiling this show for people by mentioning the two words fight and club. Um, but, uh, I'm curious, John or, or whomever, what do you think is spoilery about the way that it's shot? That there's, it's look it's looking for something that we, that, that's not there and we don't see a lot of the way it's shot. This is, this is the second aspect here.
1: Thanks for bringing that back because I forgot that thread. Um, you have when so during the show, they do telegraph a lot of stuff, even though I knew nothing about the show again. I thought it was a comedy and people kept mentioning it, so I literally knew nothing. I was not spoiled by anybody tweeting or anything like that. Episode one, right away, I kind of know where they're going with this. I'm a big fan of Fight Club anyway, I'm kind of primed to expect that. I kind of see where they're going with it. I hope that the whole show wasn't going to hinge on this, and I'm kind of glad that it doesn't seem to. Uh, but they seem to be going that direction. So, uh, since I knew. From episode one, this seems to be the direction they're going. From from the it, starting voiceover on, right? I'm watching for it. What you're watching for is like, hey, does anyone ever talk to Bruce Willis? Right? You're looking for <laughs> are they are they going to cheat it or whatever? And the way it's shot, they they try to subvert that immediately by having people talk to D- Christian, Christian Slater, Slater yeah. Drake direct, directly in in the presence of Elliot, which is not something that's done like it, it's fair game, as you see later because of the way they set things
2: up. But, but he's they're not a hologram to, right he's not an imaginary creature in
1: the way exactly and and they don't do the fight club thing where it's either one or the other and no they're never like they they intentionally shoot it and line things up so you're like you're like what you're looking for what i was looking for is, is does anyone ever make eye contact with christian slater or do they look through him at elliot they make eye contact with christian slater because
2: in those moments christian slater is you know that is the, the person who they're talking yeah. to It's you know what i mean like you get the, you get a moment where you realize that at that point elliot is basically deactivated he's over in a corner staring at a screen right or something. it's, it's
1: it's unreliable narrator all the way through to the camera lens
2: right and so they
1: get away with trying to say you thought we were going to do a fight club but we're totally not like how everyone is dealing with christian slater like he's he's obviously like they have conversations with christian slater and then three lines later talk to elliot it's like well they're both obviously there because the other characters were all talking to them right and just that they they're like we're not playing by the rules of any even though they're obviously referencing all this stuff they are not playing by the rules of sixth sense they're not playing by the rules of fight club they're playing by the rules of this show and the rules of this show are are the next level of unreliable narrator. Everything that you see is unreliable. The camera lens is unreliable. You oh, yeah. are, Elliot right. is. It's, like it's, he's, he's, he's,
3: it's almost like he's, not I don't know if the words disassociated, but as I went back, I watched the first episode probably three times, and the second or third time I watched it, as Dan and I were getting deeper and deeper into this whole fight club theory, uh, there was a scene relatively early on where, where Elliot is standing across the street from the restaurant, and, uh, Mr. Robot walks up and starts hassling people at a table. And it was the first time where I was like, hmm, I don't know if this holds up because obviously he's, he's like acting like a homeless guy and he's a- actively like bugging people at this table who are interacting with him. But also, as you say, in that case, Elliot is an observer of that. Right, you know, the, the Elliot that we know is Elliot across the street is is watching all of this happen, which I think is, makes this so much more interesting. The idea of this—I this, don't know if that's the right word—disassociated. No, like that he's I, he's, I, I he's got so, this. Yeah, yeah that there's these two things going on, and like and you know and you know and but he also I mean we have to talk at some point about the whole Evil Corp thing. Corp thing and like how at some point you know fairly yes. early on also it goes
2: unreliable from, narrator a thing that he a right thing that he
3: mentioned a thing that he mentioned now is appearing on screens. Mm-hmm. Other people are calling it Evil Corp. So yeah, like you say, John, you know beyond unreliable narrator and then obviously then by the end of the series you finally get to that like oh Oh. moment where you're like oh no i really can't rely on him as a narrator he doesn't remember what happened like he is he is truly disconnected from himself. And which is just it's it's so chilling. It's almost like waking up from a night of like blackout drinking and trying to like deconstruct what happened. Those horrible nights in college where you're like, "Oh no, that happened." And that happened. And having him have to watching that dawning realization as he's realizing like what has happened is I found inc- uh, incredibly affecting.
2: The moment where they um I feel like the pro- producers are hanging a lantern on it and, and and really saying and and this came out in the interviews afterward like we we, we weren't trying to keep you guessing. We were trying to lead you ahead. Ahead of Elliot to the realization that Christian Slater is part of is part of his per own person, if not his own personality.
1: And I was out ahead of it, but then like the show, like I was out ahead of it. I was looking for it, but then when I saw the things that the show did, I'm like, well, the sh- the show is having fun with us because obviously it's trying. It knows that we're going to expect this. Like when they were in the the F Society headquarters by you know Coney Island or whatever, and they had all the groups of hackers talking together. They had scenes with conversations and debates that involved both Elliot and Mr. Robot as if they were all there. And it was trying to, like... Chill out on that thing. Don't worry too much. Don't worry too much. that Elliot said it said literally said "f society" like two times on the couch in the first episode. Don't worry about that at all. That might have all been a red herring. It's all fine. And, and <laughs> you know the whole reveal of of who Mister Robot was that that was telegraphed as well. But then they spent a lot of the time in the show saying, "Well, that can't obviously be the case because he would remember him." And they're having like you don't understand the depths of what's going on yeah. here. You know yeah. they have a conversation about him. We haven't seen a picture of him, but on the other hand. Uh, you know obviously if it was his, you know he would remember that but anyway i I, I like that, that that it stirred that stuff into a big stew as well. and I also like the fact that that's not what this is all leading to what you're really worried about what I'm really worried about in the show is Elliot as a character and how his you know how his life is evolving and what it's going to mean for all the people around him right and that is more interesting than what is the truth of the, uh, the 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 situation in any particular scene. It's much more interesting to say I, I don't we don't we may not know what the truth is here, but how does this affect everybody else? As we see, kind of in mid season, which I thought was uh, they could have saved that for the big finale. What happens to uh, what's her name, the neighbor, Shayla? There you go, like that. That is exactly what I was looking for. Out of the show is like, uh, yeah, it's being close to this person with these these talents, but these problems as well, and these ambitions and these sort of philosophies
3: about life has not good consequences. That was actually, um, what was the one? Oh, Brave Traveler, episode six. That was actually one of my favorites uh, of the season that I watched a couple times. The Prison Break? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that mm-hmm. was, uh, I thought that was pretty amazing. I mean, you know, I, I like them all, but I mean, some more than others. But that one, that I thought, I thought the, uh, What's his name? Uh, Vera or Vera? The, yeah, the guy who's in he jail. A, he
1: was a great creepy uh, criminal. He
3: was a great, and also, but but that's another one where like the whole opening in the cell with bouncing the ball and all that stuff. But you know, it, it's just it's fun to see Elliot on the ropes. And fun, not fun, but I mean, par- part of what makes this so great is Elliot on the ropes, being such a mess, how he is and having so many vulnerabilities and confusions and seeing how he does or doesn't get out of it is, is a huge driving factor. And I just want to underscore, I agree with David. I like the fact that it wasn't a puzzle box. I like that this wasn't about like, w- what does the magnet mean on the island? That, you know, like once you solve this one mystery, you understand the show. Like, I, I, I love that. Like, it added a lot. But Why why do they go in the uh, Ferris wheel? What is the meaning of the Ferris wheel? Ooh, and the, no Ferris, Ferris oh. wheel.
2: Tim Ferris, Life Hack. Uh, oh, I so got it. So Marlon, episode six. I want to talk about this. Um I liked it, but it feels like it's the most out of place in the entire season, because it feels like a TV show episode, like an episodic, like, this week, Elliot has to break somebody out of jail. And it felt a little bit like it wasn't about the rest of the story, but more like, and just to be cynical for a moment, like, he was short on episodes, and they were able to insert this little digression that because Shayla gets killed at the end, it adds something to sort of Elliot's character, but it feels to me in most ways... Unnecessary, which is not to say that it isn't good, but unlike every other episode in the season, episode six feels like it could have just been slotted in or removed
3: with very little difference. Other because than the it, fact because because it Shayla didn't contribute because d- it didn't contribute so much to the F Society and Elliot arcs.
2: Yeah, it's just a self. I mean, it's a standalone episode.
3: I thought it told us a lot but, about well, Elliot.
1: But but, but, it, but it's not standalone because it resolves the the Shayla arc, which was tr- which is through the entire season. I think the season has acts, and I think that middle act with with Shayla and and Vera and everything. He pronounce his name. Vera, Vera. Uh, that was the Breaking Bad section of the show. Uh, <laughs> and then I don't know what you would call the first part and then the final third. Like, I, I would break it up into thirds like that. And there is a little yeah. bit of discontinuity yeah. there, but I think it's not standalone because, it resol- like I said, it resolves the Shale Thread, which is important to resolve because in the beginning they set things up. You've got the, uh, the childhood friend, potential love interest, and then <laughs> you're like, is it going to yep. be will-they-won't-they they type thing. You've got the neighbor person, who also happens to be a drug dealer. You've got the psychiatrist and you've got the work life and these things like they it's not like a regular TV show where these are just going to continue and he's always going to have the, the local girl and he's always going to have the childhood friend that it like you, you don't even get through the first season and the neighbor girl is gone, right? These threads need to all go somewhere. So Shayla's arc was the smallest and the, the steepest and it resolved itself mid season if you took out that particular episode, then what does she do? Just hang around for the rest of the thing? Like, it's not that kind of TV show. I feel like every, everything in it, even just in this very short fi- single season, how does Colby change? How does Evil Corp change? How does, uh, what's his name? The the crazy Swedish guy.
3: Well, how does yeah. Wellick Ty- change to this Tyrell? season? Tyrell. Yeah. Yeah. Every every <laughs> recognize, that, recognize that name, John? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> every, every character on this show, even just in a short season, it was, it's only eight episodes, right? No, oh, how many? Ten episodes. Ten short episodes. Every character is totally different than you expected them to be and is changed from the beginning, and some of them aren't even there. And th- that's one of the things I like about the show is that it moves. That You can kind of see that maybe it was a movie screen, but that it moves fast. That it is not going to be a show where season after season our familiar characters have adventures because they're all going to change and be changed. And, I mean, who would have thought that Angela at the beginning and Angela at the end are totally different places, but you kind of understand how Angela got to the point where she's scolding the the Prada salesman and conflicted about it. All right, And Elliot, you know, he's on his journey of discovering himself. Uh, everybody makes a lot of progress, and I, I, I feel like it is there is a thematic sort of potential, incons- not thematic, maybe like a, an inconsistency of mood. Like, is this Breaking Bad? Is this a Sopranos? Is this... Uh, Orange is the new black. Is this monk? Uh, it's kind of all of them in one big glorious mess.
0: Yeah. Well, and what one of the things that struck me about that episode was um, because it did feel a little weird and out of place. I kind of wondered if that was a script or if that started as a script that they said, show us what the sixth episode would be like. And so they wrote it, and then they figured out a way to work in more of the storyline once they made the rest of the series. It was sort of like, well, we've already written the script, you know, and, and it can work nicely, fitting in the different arcs and, and you know. Uh, but yeah, it, it, did, it felt odd to me, too. Um, but, that, but that's a common thing, where they say, what's the seventh season premiere? Tell me that before we order your series.
2: And I don't doubt that in the end, you know, you couldn't remove episode six and have it be something else. It just it felt to me like something that was um, inserted sort of later and then made to fit into the season, which is which is fine, and it, and it does that. But, it, you know, it is, as a standalone episode, I mean, if you pointed to one episode and said, what's a, you know, give me an episode of Mr. Robot to watch, I would say, watch the first one and you'll get hooked. But episode six sort of, like, has a beginning and an ending, which most of the episodes, they do,
3: but they're not as, as clear as episode I, six. I, I, I see, so. I, I totally, you know what, when you put it that way, I see what you're saying. I just, I thought, I uh, I found that Vera guy, like, so annoying in the previous ones, and I thought he was so good in this. I agree. You know, you know what it is, partly, Jason, is that, um, you know, what's so frustrating about so many movie, movies and so many comic books is, like, it's very difficult to understand why anybody does what they do, and the stakes are always everything. And, you know, that, that becomes so frustrating yep. in comics, because you're like, why did they do that? Or, like, why does it always have to be about the destruction of the universe and the ultimate nullifier and all that kind of stuff? And, and I think I liked that episode, because I, I liked it that the stakes were not everything, but also the motivation is very, very super high and easy to understand. And, and I think it helps us understand more about Elliot to see, you know, it's fun to see him like hack his way out of a problem, but it's fun to see Elliot desperate. Like I, I thought that really, it, it helped to see him like, again, yeah. you know, up against the ropes in this, like <laughs> his, you know, okay. oh God, we haven't talked about the narration. You know, like we always know narration is death and yet his narration is, is I think so, so terrific most of the time.
2: No I think I think you're right that, that perhaps in some ways episode six is there to remind us that Elliot has capabilities and is not just a mess well and, and even
3: a- <laughs> even if we take it as red that F society is a thing that he's participating in and there's goals for this happening and there are stakes if it goes wrong it is it really isn't about like the the end of the world necessarily. It's not like saving the world well, it isn't that's like part of, the, that's
1: part of what you're wondering in the show is are these guys all just kind of you know smoking each other's uh, you know, all, like is it, yep. are, are they actually going to cause a downfall of anything? Or And they, they play off of the Evil Corp of like, I loved at the end the explanation of Evil Corp and the lawsuit and the uh, the, the deaths and their planning for it and the fund that had made like 50 times that much on the stock like, that's just beautiful. And so you have to wonder all these hackers together are oh, they that really going to change great. the world? Yes, right, right. Or, or do they just think they're going to change the world? So you can never get a bead on whether everybody involved in F Society is high on their own supply and is not, you know, that they, they, they're comical or if they really are incredibly dangerous and don't realize the extent of the damage
3: they're doing. I mean, like, like almost do. like there's, like, a kind of a, like, a script kiddie thing to it of, like, you know, we're going to take everybody down with these.
1: Right, exploits. or, like, is there, does their philosophy have any foundation? Do they really believe it? Who really believes it? Like, especially once Mr. Robot is taken out of the picture or folded in, then you're not even sure that Elliot is on board with himself involving it. And the sister and everyone else has their reasons for being there. But, like, in the end, are they actually going to? And then, like, the, the, the Dark Army, are they more serious? It's, they seem more serious, especially with the final episode. You know, so... That tension is hanging is over this entire thing, I think. So You this episode, the, episode six, getting back to that, the stakes are smaller, but they're clear. The, these are plain old criminals. They're thugs. They're bad people. They're going to do bad things. You don't have to wonder if it's going to be the taking down of the entire credit system or erasing the debt or anything like that. It is very small, but very real concrete stakes. And I, I think episode six, I would never tell anyone to start there, because I think it doesn't go anywhere unless you've been introduced to shayla through all the other episodes and met vera i i loved his creepy underpants introduction thing and all those you know that whole y- you have to you have to care about the people before episode six so i think episode six is right where that goes it is this is the very breaking bad middle section of the series and i suppose you could remove it and continue the arc but i, I that was the most involved
3: and excited i was i think uh around episode six and seven hmm. Also, also, I mean, we haven't talked much about Elliot's habit, but, you know, obviously he has very strong feelings for Shayla, but she's also the supplier for his very particular needs, right, in, in some ways. Like, there are stakes beyond his affection to her going away.
1: Yeah, he's very straightforward with when the voiceover. He's like, I got to decide, you know, this guy, does he go to jail, but then I give up my supply. Like, you know, his whole—he has very uh, sort of—not uh, uh, like— premeditated reasons for everything he does. Everyone in his life has a function and he weighs the pros and cons and makes a call in a sort of a, in a clear headed narrated way it's Again, similar with the breaking bad type thing of like him coming around to saying, this guy's got to go. I can make that happen. Only he starts off as the, the, the bald headed Walter White. He doesn't, he doesn't have much, he, you know, he's there from episode one, right? It seems kind of very reptilian until of course you realize that he doesn't even know what him, He's going on inside his own head, so he's really he's not as, he's really not as it doesn't have as clear eyed view of the world as he likes to think he does.
2: Now that's one of the great undermining moments in the first episode. Is you you think you've got this guy kind of wired, and then you you realize all the the various drugs that he's taking, and his supplier is across the hall, and she's got some other drugs that he could take
3: too. And then they have sex, but, and you're like, what am I seeing here? What-? And, he, and he's but he's got a system. Like you're like, <laughs> oh no, nothing's worse than a smart drug drug user with a system because he's going to take this amount of stuff with this amount. Yeah. stuff. Make sure he doesn't get addicted, you know, doesn't overdose. But that's all uh, that all falls apart. Yeah. Almost immediately too, which is uh Yeah, so um
2: what what else should we talk about? I mean, Christian Slater, we've touched on I really enjoyed his performance in this. It's a it's you know, he he gets oh, to delightful. He gets to be the He's the slateriest. Ah, uh, he yeah. is. He is so slater <laughs> He's so Heather's. <laughs> <laughs> it's just—it's really nice. I—I l- I like that when you don't know what's going on, and he kind of—he kind of intrudes on Elliot and says, "Let me let me explain what's going on and, and talk to you about this," and kind of tries to stop him at a few points and all that. It's just really enjoyable. I love that he's this kind of—you um, know—guy in a jumpsuit who talks to him on the subway and then it takes him to Coney Island and they're riding the Ferris wheel and all of that. It's all, it's really enjoyable. It's a great interaction. And, and although Rami Malek just owns this entire show, Slater does a very good job. And it turns out as we go along that, you know, this is two parts of Elliot's personality talking to each other here, which is, which makes it that much more fascinating.
3: The, and the memories
1: of his father. And, and, uh, yeah, I exactly. Like
3: that. And, the, and the fact that he's trying to, uh, you know, unconsciously, maybe I'm not, probably psychoanalyzing here but you know oh, we got coney island we got the shop we've got this you know uh, this just the fact that he's trying to obviously reconcile something kind of unreconcilable with the past and you really see i feel like i don't know this might be criminology but i feel like you can see that played out in so many different ways and when is it that we get to the mr Ro- oh yeah number nine. Oh god that was a good one i thought that was incredibly uh moving and number nine was just was just amazing right when he actually we we see him with his uh, with his his actual dad, oh his dad and all of the all the ads for what was it nineteen ninety four? Yeah,
2: I like um the the previous episode. I mean, this is the moment where we realize oh BD Wong we, we're we're that con, confer- <laughs> yeah. So so so, so you get you get you get White Rose who we see and the and in, in a completely bizarre um scene where it's like you will only see me once at the back of this like hard drive repair shop or whatever. Fascinating, um. Where where I, I expected that what we saw when he met White Rose would be something unexpected, but I would not um, I would not have guessed Beatty Wong um, as a woman as White Rose fascinating. And then also the the whole thing with Darlene. Darlene throughout this is portrayed as this kind of like strangely forward character. Like why is mm-hmm. she so buddy yeah, why, why is she, he,
1: why is she so familiar?
2: Yeah, why is she buddying up to Elliot? He like it's like get away, you know, you're just this why weird person I know from where Coney from Coney Island. Yeah, she's yeah. like kind of menacing yeah. him and all of that. And and in episode 8, um we see Darlene and Angela like at dance class. Just talking to each other, just friends, just talking about Elliot. And it's just a great moment of like, what did I just see. what does that mean? It's the, How it's the do best they kind of reveal. Other?
1: Because it's <sighs> like the kind of reveal that, that doesn't hit you over the head. It assumes you're smart enough to know that it's a reveal. There's no big musical cue, but it is, you know, and I, I think that's that's true of all the things. It doesn't, doesn't cheat. If you go back and watch the episodes again, you obviously you can look at them in the kind of the same sixth sense. Well, if I watch it again, I can and with knowing the secrets, I can see all the stuff. But everything works in two two ways. Just like the you know, like the line I just said, where Darlene at some point Elliot's like, How do you know where I live? And he's like, Why wouldn't I know where Why wouldn't she know where you live? Because she's a hacker. Of course, she knows where you live. Why wouldn't she know where? Because she's your sister. Of course, she knows where you live. Works both ways. Totally valid. Neither one is a cheat. And but you can go back and watch it and go, oh, okay. (laughs) And so you have to decide which meaning you 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 know you can go for there. And very very clever writing. Not like when you go back
2: and watch it, it doesn't all fall apart. It doesn't lay flat. Still everything still plays. Yeah, the and and the end the way that the way that it's played the scene between Elliot and Darlene, you know, it is played perfectly, of their success celebrating the success of 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 F Society, and 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 he leans in, and it's like it's the moment in the TV show where, you know, and she sent him the signals like she she loves him, she cares about him. They are very casually, you know, close together, so it's super easy. And, and so we read into that what he reads into that. And that's the and that if there is a big twist in this show, that is the one that 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 moment of like, have you forgotten again? Where it's all just laid bare in that moment, and we are like Elliot, realizing that everything that we've seen, we've completely missed key facts, and it's just so well done. That and and that and that's what I loved is the misdirection of having Mister Robot not really be there,
3: and and that mutual that mutual heartbreak though. Yeah, it's so of, sad. Yeah. As, I mean, he does,
1: as he does the sort of Alzheimer's thing, where he's like, "No, I didn't forget. I, I remember," oh. you know, like faking it, right, faking right. it as fast as he can because he is smart, and that's that's the best thing about the rest of the series is you all of his voiceovers are always the sort of uh, what I'm going to say in this scene is what I have to say to get along society. But now in this voiceover, I'll tell you the real hidden reality behind everything. Cause I'm a hacker and I've hacked these people and I know the truth. And I know this guy's cheating on this person with his wife. And I know that this person likes this and you know, Elliot knows everything about everybody and nobody can hide from his all seeing hackers. eye, uh, but he doesn't, he absolutely doesn't. He doesn't know really important, basic facts about his own life and what's going on in it. And so that, That's the best trap for him, because that's why you feel for him, because of the whole rest of the thing. He was your voice of please voice over Elliot. Tell me what's really going on here. And that's I also like the White Rose scene for that reason, because Elliot is totally flustered on the timer and says stupid things and does not take advantage of that time in in an efficient manner because he's just, you know, he kind of blows it. Uh, That's him sort of struggling and gasping for air, realizing that there are powers beyond his control as well.
2: Oh, um, before we move on, I, there are a couple other points that I wanted to I wanted to get out. Uh, one of them is uh, Tyrell Wellick and his wife. Joanna. Love that wife. She needs her own show. Yes, I would watch a Joanna show. She is so great. Mm-hmm. There's a character like that on Humans, actually, where it's like that. That could have been the star of the show in another version of the show. So fascinating. We meet her. Um, she is, you know, we meet her, and again, subverting expectations. She is the. The beautiful pregnant wife of the hard charging executive, who's this? You know, who's one of the key technical people at at E Corp at Evil Corp, and very rapidly we we see their um we see their sexual practices, their their bondage practices. That's well, that's,
3: we 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 see that they are, uh, well, yeah, we see that for sure. But the, but also just their their kind of. Um, Open collusion about wanting oh, power. Yeah, yep. just, just, a just like the, fi- the
1: House of Cards kind of vibe, where they, yeah, are, exactly, they are a team
3: exactly. and she is kind of the
1: leader
2: of the team. Yeah, well, and yeah, exactly kind of, right. You know, she's, she's, she's the one who's like, no, you got to do this, you got to do that. And they speak Swedish to each other, which is also just another. There's just so many little details in there that they don't need the details, but the details are all interesting and and subvert sort of like what you'd expect if you are like you don't need to give me the details i can make some assumptions about this couple no you cannot <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and it's kind of like a, it's like a darth
1: vader emperor vibe because tyrell is so shown to be so machiavellian and doing all these things but then you realize the power behind the throne like and she like it's like a contest what will tyrell do to further his aims he will do lots of things you don't like is going after the receptionist and you know yeah. having sex with them like is that is that something that he actually enjoys or is just something he's willing to do to get ahead you don't even know what will she do with to to make to keep this family together like she'll oh, do things with the fork that you wouldn't you know possibly kids mm-hmm. uh, cons- like it, it's almost like they're all one-upping each other but in the end in their interpersonal moments she makes demands of him and he Kind of cracks under the pressure and doesn't follow the plan and ends up doing something that he probably shouldn't have on the roof of the building. Yes, uh, and murder. So he, he's fault. He, like <laughs> he is less. He is less able to handle the strain. And maybe he's under more pressure as well because she's at home all day. But you know, she's the emperor in the situation. And he's Vader.
3: That's I. You know, I hadn't. I hadn't thought of it this way. But you know, it's like you know, everybody in college reads that uh, Keith Johnstone you know book you know, about improv and the whole idea of improv being based on status. And if you think about it, status, the exchange of status in various ways is, is such a huge part of this where you see, Oh my gosh! The guy who ends up firing Tyrell, that guy—the <laughs> CEO—I
1: love him. I love him. He I is love him. The he's the best evil
3: CEO ever. He's so great. He's like Christopher Lee playing Vincent D'Onofrio. I, I just—I love the way. I love his little ticks to the way that he talks. And uh, but but like the, the the way that that status and power get exchanged and transmogrified throughout this show are fascinating to me, too. We haven't talked at all about uh, Elliot's boss, who ends up being a super interesting and sympathetic character. He seems like such a buffoon. He seems like some kind of like, um, you know, Bill Lundberg uh, kind of, you know, buffoon at one point. But he's a very sympathetic character in some ways. And just the way that like, you know, from day to day, these power exchanges uh, can change so much and and just the uh, disproportionate you know, a way the power gets moved around, whether that's Tyrell's wife being the one who's obviously running the show or the way that, you know, something can suddenly change and like what that means to to each of these characters. I thought it's very, especially as the show progresses in that last, in that third act, I think it's very well done.
1: Yeah. They may have some great inflation or power inflation issues because by the end you're in like eyes wide shut territory and you realize poor Angela has been suckered into, like, I mean, you kind of know what this, colby shows up at her house oh we were super impressed by you and like here's the best thing about that episode for a second i think everyone watching that episode wants to believe it wants to believe that they really were impressed by angela and they want her to come and for a second you believe it too it's like you know what she was impressive but no uh (laughs) but by the end like i don't know you know that that final you know eyes wide shut halls of power white rose out of disguise or in disguise depending on how they're going to go with it and the CEO and and the whole speech about the, the the fund and making 50 times that amount of money while waiting, waiting to settle this case. And like, you know, why are you so calm? Well, I found that problems like this tend to crack under the weight of... Like, just great, super yeah. evil speeches. <laughs> but where do you go from there? I'm really worried about season two because you've got that next echelon of power in the Eyes Wide Shut house. And then I'm not sure you can go up any farther from there. And I would almost be happier if you had... Someone involved in there, so that we could say that what we saw in that final scene was also unreliable. But Elliot wasn't involved there, so I think we have to take all that as kind of face value, and that kind of is more prosaic. What's that? What, so, what,
3: what, I'm sorry. What what scene is that? Uh,
1: where where
2: the White Rose? <laughs> well, there, there's said, a, there's a mansion where all of the evil leaders of the world, <laughs> right. the Illuminati, drinks. <laughs> yeah, the ice the, white <laughs> <simply>. house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. that's where that's where White Rose and the CEO of uh, of Evil Corp
3: have and a drink Black, together. Black Bolt and Iron yeah. Man. And by the and way, yep. Evil
1: Evil Corp. That's Enron's logo, isn't it? That is that's basically straight, Enron's straight right. up Enron's yep. logo. Like it's just on an ankle.
2: I wanted to mention a couple other characters uh, in the chat room. We we they mentioned, and I think this is absolutely right. In some ways, the, the the person you really feel sorry for in all of this is uh is Gideon Goddard, who's the CEO of All Safe, who is you know. Who seems like a perfectly nice guy, and you know, oh, he flies so Elliot nice. down on the jet, and he's, you know, and we meet, we meet his, his husband, and, and they're, they're, they're very nice and all that. And oh my God, his business is completely
0: destroyed. Well, it's it,
1: some, it seems pretty resilient. I thought he would have been out of business after the first disaster, but it still <laughs> hangs on. Like the thing is, he's not played as a dummy. He's, no. you know, he's smart. He's investigating server CS30. Like he's so close. He's really close. He just doesn't, he's not willing to go. He's too nice of a person to go the next step to realize what's, really what's going, really going on. But he's
3: also yeah. he's also that guy where like he becomes increasingly sympathetic because he's the business guy. Like maybe he knows the business of, you know, of the of what what the people are doing a little bit. Obviously, he's he's a smart cookie, but like he also has to maintain the relationships and the appearances. And that scene where his the CFO is meeting with him. It's just so brutal, you know, where he's obviously got this cognitive dissonance of thinking like, it's okay. We can still, uh, we can still pull this out. It's all going to be okay. It was, uh, it was so awful. So hard to watch. Yeah. He's so clearly too nice to succeed in business in the world of this
1: television show because everyone else who's getting ahead is not as concerned about other people as he is. And, you know, just, yeah, well, he should have diversified. He shouldn't have eighty yeah. percent of his business going yeah. to Evil Corp. That was his big mistake. Mm-hmm.
2: You get the you get the sense almost <laughs> like he was sort of stuck. <laughs> you should you should consult John. He couldn't say no to Evil Corp, and then he got in too deep. Yeah. But the other character I want to mention is uh, Gloria Rubin's character, the psychiatrist, just because oh, I feel so I feel great. like. Early on in the season, she's used really interestingly. And, you know, Elliot is, is checking up on her boyfriend and revealing him to be a fraud and all of this stuff. And we see her in one scene at the end. I feel like her character is a little bit strange in the sense that we need to have her to know that Elliot is sort of like under treatment. Um, but I don't know. I feel like she kind of didn't get used enough. Maybe. No, she's
3: a, she she becomes a cipher in a lot of ways. There yeah. was not enough room to, to have her be more than what she not needed to room. Be for, I no, think that's not right. at all.
2: Well, I better
1: think the show is smart in keeping people in reserve. Like, Vera's still out there. Yes. Uh, and she's still... I think she's important to have. Maybe not, again, maybe not in The Sopranos way where she's going to be, like, a thread through the entire thing, but it's. I, I really love that actress and I, I love her character. And even though she didn't have much to go on, you see that... She is a human person. She does mean well. She does have her own quirks, and she's trying to do the right thing, but she is not succeeding because she doesn't have all the information.
2: Yeah, I feel and like I, season two. Uh, I mean, clearly, Elliot needs psychological help, right? <laughs> so perhaps right. we'll see you her think. some more.
1: <laughs> and, and she's and she's not. She's good at her job. Like she's trying to get through to it. She's trying to get, but it's you know, it's going to be it's going to be difficult and. It's interesting that she has, you know, this is another problem that she has, like kind of an adversarial relationship, but also that, you know, again gets back to the Sopranos uh, plot line with the whole uh, uh, Dr. Melfi and, and uh, what happens to her and what uh, Tony Soprano does or doesn't do about it. And the same, you know, this is all small stakes version of that uh, with Elliot interfering in her life in ways that she doesn't appreciate, but does appreciate. But how is she going to deal with that? Not a lot of it in this season, but that is a play, That is a well you can go back to in season two to enrich both of the characters. And I think that that thread and that relationship will also have an arc that will have to end somewhere probably badly for most people involved. She,
3: she, but she also has an important I think she has an important role in this season, even if she is kind of a cipher, which is that, you know, this, this show is to a large extent uh, about um, the walls that we put up about things and the ways that we decide, like, who's in charge or that we decide, you know, for that matter, like, you know, what constitutes the money and the credit that we have and, like, all of these paper walls that constitute our society. And I think in a in a kind of uh, more picaresque way, she represents, like – the, the bulwark uh, against madness, right, in some ways. Like, she's the, she's the one who's going to help Elliot, who's obviously this very troubled guy. She obviously cares about him, but feels a certain responsibility to make sure he doesn't, you know, screw up. She's got to be something like a parent in some ways, but also a professional. And when he does the big reveal of everything he knows about her and what kind of porn she's been looking at, like, it's just it's just yet another one of these paper walls being torn down. And I think she does a really great job at characterizing what that would feel like, you know, to, to, to be like one of those big heads on a screen big brother and suddenly be brought right back down to human or subhuman size and feel incredibly vulnerable. And uh, well, she,
1: she keeps her chin up through it. Like she manages to, she's not going to let it bring her all the way down. She's she's going to maintain her composure and uh, to the to best degree possible in that
3: situation. But I mean, but she is, but like all of these systems now, she is shown to be, even as she is a source of, you know, gosh, stuff like medications, stuff like deciding like what she can sign off on in terms of what Elliot, you know, can and can't do. You know, she is she represents, you know, the system in that way. And when she is shown to be that vulnerable, uh it's I think it's an echo of the same kind of thing that's happening with showing that these big systems that protect our money and our credit and our, you know, society and law are are just as vulnerable. And I, I thought that was well done. And I would love to see her used again and more in the future because I love that actress. What what have I seen her on? What else has e. she been on? oh you uh, talk about
1: a little uh technical stuff there's just a yeah. few things there so in the first episode which is kind of a shame they get i think <laughs> the worst technical scene out there where tyrell talks to elliot oh i see you running kde i run gnome myself that's a conversation okay. that would never take place between two people who know anything about computers and if it took place between one person who doesn't know and one person who does uh, elliot would think tyrell why, why, why would that never happen because it's like it's not the type of thing. It's it's like two car guys going, oh, I see you have black wheels on your car. Mine have treads. Do yours have treads? No, <laughs> oh, you have Michelin's. I have like it's just it's not at the level like KDE versus GNOME. <laughs> yeah, those are real things. Uh, but two people, two people who know a lot about cars are going to talk about something like if you're trying to impress somebody. like was that was the scene was trying to play out? Tyrell is trying to impress <laughs> Elliot with his knowledge to show that hey i'm i'm like you you wouldn't go for something that sort of like basic and boring you would try to find something obscure but the problem is that scene doesn't play if you go for something obscure because the audience knows doesn't know anything about this so they have to do what they did which i don't think really works for people who don't know because it just sounds like gibberish and for people who do know it's like neither one would be impressed by this exchange and it's silly and it's embarrassing and it's kind of cringe It doesn't matter power through it that's you know you shouldn't be listening to this anyway if you haven't seen the series but i think it's it's fine (laughs) everything else they do they try to keep their distance from which is a good idea like in broad terms, they want to say. Uh, although they have Christian Slater say malware instead of malware, which really bothered me. But anyway, oh, get, cry, get someone get someone in there to to tell them how to pronounce words. But they basically say, uh, you know oh, they have a Raspberry Pi to take over the like like they heard of Raspberry <laughs> Pi, they know this you know they just." It's fine. Yeah, you know, my, do... my,
3: my my blinkers went off a little bit on the whole like HVAC thing. Like some some of that felt a little bit like a stretch. Was that a stretch, John?
1: Yeah, I mean, all of it is a stretch. All of it's a stretch that they could they could plan this, but but like they don't. They stay far enough away. They say this is our plan in broad strokes: raise the thermostat, damage the tapes. That already is kind of mostly fantastical because talk about a slow moving disaster that can be averted. That is totally one of them, right? But can't you know what as uh you know internet uh, as thermostat type stuff and internet connected things become real like that's a real thing like microsoft's campus has this whole computer controlled thing controlling the the temperature of all the buildings and once you become network connected you can get hacked they stay just far enough away to say yeah it's possible that you could get into this and like the hospital it department with the silly guy and everything running windows 98 yeah that's you know i mean like it, everything they do could be done and you're supposed to believe these people are amazingly talented and you don't see how much time they invest. You could be like, well, I guess the times that we didn't see them, they've been working on this for weeks and doing all this research or whatever. Um, So I think it all hangs together. I'm just glad that they don't feel the need to have long drawn out scenes where they have a bunch of proper nouns for computers that the characters spew at each other because they don't, they just say, did you take over the thing with the thing? Yeah, I did the thing with the thing. All right, fine, good. That's, you know, plot is moving forward now. Don't need to try to impress the audience with uh, the technical skills but a little bit cringe inducing especially early on i think a- as the show gets going you notice it less and they talk about it less and that's good
2: all right let's move on to humans which a show was, about robots a show about robots not mr robot show about humans is it a show about robots jason <laughs> is it uh, i don't know it. let's we, say we'll... it is it uh channel four in the uk which we we know here at the incomparable officially that would be bbc BBC channel Channel four uh and uh on amc uh, based on a swedish series called real humans which i haven't seen but is swedish so tyrell wellick and his wife can watch it and understand it um eight episodes uh science fictional premise, it is a world very much like today, except that there are uh robots that look like humans but are artificially intelligent creatures that are used as servants and healthcare workers and various other things throughout the world, and we meet a family who is uh who has just taken uh, who the husband basically goes and buys a, a a synth, as they're called, to work for their family and, and cook and clean and take care of their kids and things like that. And he brings it home and there's some tension with the wife, but the wife has been traveling on long business trips and he's frustrated that he doesn't have help around the house. So he goes and buys uh, a refurb, it turns out, synth, and uh, quite seriously refurbished and uh that that's uh the story of uh the story of humans is uh is uh, a question about who are these synths and are are some of them perhaps becoming sentient and what would that mean for this worker class or slave class that has been created that people now rely on and all with english accents except for william hurt who is pr- professor hobby he does not he's, have an english He's william accent hurt because he's william hurt so i i uh I really liked Humans. Um, I didn't like it as much as Mr. Robot, but I really liked it. And one of the things I liked about it is that it felt very much like a classic science fiction novel to me. It felt like, What if? What if we lived in a world where we had these things, and they took care of us, and then it turned out that they were that they were sentient, or they became sentient, and and now they're a slave class? And what does that mean? And do we hunt them? Do we kill them? Do we give them their their freedom? What does it all mean? And what are the societal impacts on having having these human formed servants around, even if they aren't becoming sentient? What what are the societal impacts? And and uh, as I watched, I felt like over the eight episodes that it really did a good job of sort of exploring all those things in a classic science fiction novel kind of way and that so I, I i like that plus i got to recognize like everybody from what doctor who episode they were in
1: <laughs> <laughs> and in a kind of gentler way i felt like this show is a very gentle maybe you know i don't watch enough british tv to know if this is part of the thing but it was it's the people on it are nice it's not like gritty and and gory and you know like right it felt very gentle it felt like a very gentle sci-fi where they're going to take their time with the premise, they're going to have people give each other meaningful looks and have discussions about things, and dramatic things will happen, but it's not overblown. And so I felt it was, you know, it was it was relaxing and it was interesting. And it's the kind of show that I don't think we get much of around here because if we have sci-fi around here, it has to be like, you know, aliens and spaceships and uh, you know, Stargate or whatever. And this was much more of a of a relaxed British-paced human drama. That just happened to involve uh, robots, and in the same way that uh, that Mister Robot doesn't spend a lot of time delving into the details, we don't really care about the details of of the synth that much. We care about the family that has a synth. Yes. We eventually care about the synths that that have you know a family that, that have gained that have gained consciousness, <laughs> yep. uh, and everything else like. You know, is even the whole like anti synth movement that's there in the background and it's a threat or whatever, but that's not what the show is about. This is another, like Mr. Robot, is a character drama where it, it, it hinges entirely on you caring about the characters in this very small story in the grand scheme of
2: things. Yeah, and it's the, and I, I mentioned it, it's the two families, and that, that becomes very clear in the last episode. Um, I guess. We should fire off another spoiler horn pretty soon because there are some more details here. But but um, suffice it to say, I, you know, I think it's worth, again, watching episode one of Humans and seeing what you get out of it. It is gentle, and I like that about it, John. Um you know, it's not that there aren't kind of like good guys and bad guys and people who behave badly, but I, I actually asked myself at several points while I was watching it: is, am I really watching a story that's about a robot uprising that's going to kill all the humans off? Because it doesn't <laughs> feel like that. It could be that, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like, again, like this is a more thoughtful story about what does it mean? You know, again, what does it mean that these synths are there in at all? What does it mean for the the relationship? of of uh, the of the husband and wife in the family because it it is driving them apart or are they drifting apart anyway what does it mean for their relationships with their children what is the children's relationship with the synth and and is it real or not all of that is in there and what does it mean for society at large and then you throw in this other aspect which is oh oh and William Hurt's story right which is this very sad very sad and and sweet, yet sweet. It's a bittersweet story about a man who's lost his wife and he's had a stroke. And the only memories he has really of his wife are the ones that his old synth has of his dead wife. That's that's my favorite thread. It's, so, it's just so beautiful. So so it, yeah. it's not about like it could be about a robot uprising,
3: but it's not really. <laughs> I, I just want to toss in one more thing before the horn, which is yep. that I also like the fact. I, I mean, <laughs> I I don't make this sound like you know masterpiece theater or something. It it's it's a little. Uh, slow not slow it's not very quick paced at first all I will say is this if you like the first episode or two I want to say just stick with it because yeah maybe improbably quickly the story really picks up um I don't know Ron I would say and I don't
2: say this about every show every show maybe should be like this but it's not true of every show every episode is better up until maybe the last episode. The last I think, episode
3: yes. is very frustrating. Yeah. But, <laughs> but but, but, but I want to say every there's, episode there's, is there's, there's one episode. I think it's episode six is the one that left me in tears twice. Um, but I will say, um, stick with it because it is. It's a lot of world building, storytelling, uh, and so forth. But you know, if you enjoy it, it's it's an enjoyable show to watch just because it's beautifully done. It looks great. But I, I will just say, like, don't worry. <laughs> like, there's a lot more story to come, and the story really picks up. it's not a spoiler. But like. A lot happens in one episode, which is, I think, very rewarding. And uh, if you end up liking the first couple episodes, don't worry; it's not all that uh, glacial. Right. Right? It does, it does pick up, and a lot of story happens, and a lot of action happens. So, my only admonition before the uh, horn is like, you know, if you like it, stick with it.
0: Yeah. One well, the the thing that struck me when I first heard about it, it reminded me of uh, Ray Bradbury's "I Sing the Body Electric." Which was originally a Twilight Zone script that he wrote, and then he turned it into a short story and it's It's a similar concept. It's about children who um, get a an Android grandmother who takes care of them and it's it's a very similar setup, but this is so much better and and much more well thought out about what that kind of society would involve uh, so if If you liked that one, which is not a great Twilight Zone, or if you like the story. This is a really good version of that kind um, of story.
2: Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking of about my classic sci-fi feel. Like, it doesn't feel like an old story, but it does feel like it's doing what kind of we think of as classic sci-fi does in its in it in what it's exploring and
0: right.
3: It's, it's uh, about speculative instead culture. of you
0: know, yeah, guns going off and ships right. and
3: and robots. Wait, it uh, has the uh, robots. Uh, what I like a kind of story where you know it's it's a. Kind of a like a I don't know a parallel universe where like pretty much everything yeah. is the same except for this one thing and that yeah. has consequences. We got smartphones. They yeah. They, they got there's human no, form there's no like yeah. There's no rocket cars or anything. They're driving SUVs or minivans. Um, but yeah, stick with it. That's that's yeah. the only thing.
2: All right, let's fire off the spoiler horn for humans.
3: The show sucks. <laughs> 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 we we fooled them again, man! Oh my God, that's so obviously a, an actual woman. That is not a robot. <laughs> God, I, I I wanted to mention
2: too. So family. By the end, it's very clear that we're watching two families. There's a there's a synth family and a human family. And the, and, and there are those wonderful well, scenes. We're, we're kind of watching, at
3: the end. We're watching four families.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on... At the end, you've got the two families in the house together, basically determining the fate of the world, which I kind of like. That there's mm-hmm. the, the... All the synths are together, right. who are the children of the creator of the intelligent synths. And you've got the the um, the Hawkins family. And they're all together. And they've sort of got this uneasy kind of thing. And I really like that, that, that uh, you know, these are the brothers and sisters, these... These children of of uh, of the original creator, um, that is uh, of David Elster, right? I I really like that, including including his son, who's sort of part synth, part human, which is also pretty cool. Um, I, I, just, I really liked all of that. There is a big twist in this, which is that there's a police detective who is actually like the, it's like a missing Cylon from Battlestar
1: Galactica. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I love that reveal of all, of all the ways to reveal that the way oh they it. Oh my did God.
3: This. That was so Dr. Who when she pulls out the wine balloon. Yeah. This, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was so
2: freaky. Cause she's drunk wine and you think, well, she's got to be human cause she's drinking wine with her partner. But, yeah,
3: I was thinking she's
1: got to be human because they, they traced that, that, uh, every time she was on camera, they, the makeup people had to put that scar on her neck. Right. And so there's like, yet. you know, she wouldn't have a scar if she was a Cylon, a replicant, whatever you want to do. And then she takes <laughs> out the end, oh, end of a long day.
2: And she's got the a bag. big bag with all the food that she's <laughs> pretended to eat and drink. And then she plugs <laughs> in. Oh, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So I love the daughter in this. I love um, Maddie. Maddie. In this, the sh- Again, this is what I was saying earlier, she could be the star of the show, and she's yep. not, but she's great, and she's got, like, she's gonna figure out what's going on with the synth that they got, which, you know, the, uh, the teenage son wants to touch her boobs, and the father turns on the downloadable content that enables <laughs> sex mode, and uh, she just wants to, like hacker she wants to like and
1: she's, she's like, like depressed about the future of the world but she's like what's the point in studying because the synth is going to be able to be a surgeon in 10 minutes like she's ahead of she's like the uh the set pimply kid from fear of the walking dead she's ahead of everyone else on the show realizing guys don't you realize what this means if we continue down this path <laughs> with these synths uh it's going to be a problem because maybe not for the parents generation they just see it as like oh it's a helpful thing for you to have in the house or you know it's a sex toy or whatever but she sees this is the end of humanity and you guys are just happy about it
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like the that whole question of, is this is this the end of humanity or not? There's a lot of knee jerk reactions. And in the background, you've got to kind of worry about it. But I kind of like that. Like, you know, are we looking at well, they're going to replace us and they're all better than us? Or is it more like, you know, we've created new a new slave class and we have to deal with the fact that they're
3: actually alive? Well, yeah. And like not to jump to the giant picture, but, you know, it's you know, when we, when you get into the the whole like um what automation writ large does for us, it, it ends up getting to some interesting things. And and I think that's where this cuts to the chase fairly quickly, even if it is a little bit slow paced, which is first of all, like well we think like, you know, work in some ways gives us meaning. Like the things that we do, the way that we spend our day really matters, the way that we care for our children, like what what foods we prepare for our kids. Like that's that's a big part of who we are. And as played out with, I'm sorry, I don't remember the woman's name, the, 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 the wife. Like it's, I think she is, she's so great at portraying that, not just the guilt of like being the working mom who's a lawyer, but just that whole sense of like, you know, what if somebody can do this better than I am? Better, but you know, better than I can do it. Like that, that's a horrifying prospect. The idea that you could buy an appliance that would be a better parent than you, or, yeah. or in, in that case, you could, you could, you could buy a robot that would be a better employee than you. It isn't just a matter of feeling frustrated that you maybe don't make the same wage. It's a matter of going like, well, then what is it that makes us human? What is it that makes life worth doing if there are appliances that can be better than us? And if your daughter
2: demands that that uh, that the robot read the story to her yeah. instead As sophie
1: may love like our kids may love our ipads more than us but we're not threatened by the ipads because they're not close enough to the uncanny valley right like it's like well right. they may love television more than us but it's fine i'm the mom but once you make the television shaped like a mom then it's a problem <laughs> then you're like all right tv that's a, a yeah, this is too close for comfort I, I think the best one is the uh the wife of the detective like that's the other question that it answers is like she's unhappy their marriage she's unhappy in their marriage whatever um is it sufficient for people to have a uh, attentive, uh, attractive uh, male sex bot that listens to their stories and gives them nice massages and prepares some nice meals? Uh, as long as it, that, that sex bot doesn't malfunction, she was probably pretty much OK with it. Like that she chose that over her husband because that robot was giving her the attention that her husband was not. It was entirely dedicated to her. It was nice. It was thoughtful. It carried her from room to room when she was injured. It made her meals. Uh, it gave her the massages and it gave her the sex that she wanted. And right up until the point that she installed the modifications and it malfunctioned, she was OK with that. So that's the other uncomfortable thing that it's asking is uh, not only can this replace us with all, you know our children or whatever, but like, is there are they better than humans in all ways? Because no human like the robots don't have their own needs. These the non-conscious ones they entirely exist to serve your needs and if they can do so in a way that makes you think that there's just another human there who is really really into you how many people are okay with that i, I don't think they're going to get into that because i think the uh, the 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 entire show is leading like if i take the show as as shown in this season 1 uh, the obvious conclusion is that all the humans will destroy all these robots
3: it's almost like the ultimate form of, of self-absorption where you know if you're like say like an introverted person with lots of needs like you'd be perfectly happy to have a whole bunch of the world replaced by automation whether that's uber or instacart or whatever it is that you want there's a whole way to create this world full of things that will serve you and will open up your time and attention in ways that you never could have before but like hey it's great if the if the rest of the world becomes an automaton the rest of the world loses their jobs what I think this gets at though is like well what does that mean to me like what if nobody needs me anymore that's 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 what I thought this drove home is yes yes there's certainly like the, the huge issue of like what if these things are more than just you know machines but I also love that idea of like when we feel threatened um, not just in terms of like, you know, the, the story people always want to tell on Planet Money is like, what happens when robots make our T-shirts? But there's something deeper to that, which is like, what if like the whole reason that I think I'm valuable to the world is suddenly much more economically and efficiently replaced by this machine? And I thought they did that very well. Yeah, but, but like I said, I feel
1: like it's leading to, like, I think in season two, they're going to have to come up with some kind of conflict because right now it's clear that people don't like these machines, like that, that the angry people want to smash all these things. And the only thing that is going to stop them from smashing them are either other humans, which I don't think is going to happen, or the robots themselves. And so far, the robots... that Niska is their only hope, really. So far, yeah. the robots themselves seem too passive, and they're basically going to get smashed up. Because these are not the robots from the Matrix. This is not, you know, the Skynet that becomes conscious and 20 milliseconds later decides it needs to wipe out humanity. These, uh, th- these robots, these synths, are conscious and also have a conscience and that will be their downfall if they don't get their acts together because it's so clear that the humans are conscious and there's enough of them who are mad for so many reasons taking our jobs replacing us i don't like the you know like merlin said replacing me in ways that i don't want to be replaced and humans are really good at smashing things they don't like if there's an you know we'll kill all the wolves we'll cut down all the trees we'll pave paradise and put in the parking lot and these these synths are doomed so i don't know how they're going to resolve that because they so i mean again niska being their only hope is there one synth that finally gets a clue and says uh we either need to go to another planet or destroy all the humans or are they going to have this sort of touchy-feely we need to figure out how to get along with each other like can you can you imagine can anyone imagine a planet where humans and synths exist and reproduce at similar rates and exist alongside each other intermixed in society i the world set up by the show does not seem like it is open to that possibility, if the synths are conscious. If they're not conscious, it seems like everyone's kind of okay with it. There's an uneasy bounce, But as soon as they're conscious, that's it. All the sense have to be destroyed.
3: No, the sense the have all kinds of basically, like, what, governors. Like, you know, <laughs> you run a U-Haul van and it won't let you drive over 60 miles an hour, right? You can't push the accelerator, accelerator down. It's like all of these synths have these basic governors that prevent them from doing the things they're great at. If we let the synths do everything they could do, like that's a whole different world. Now we got a world where it's all based on what synths want. So you're wondering if like what, that, that would be something where there's some kind of a showdown, like a mutants versus versus humans kind of
1: Well, like of why, why would the, why would, how can they coexist? Because like the synths are better at everything and don't have all the same problems and can be presumably repaired and their consciousness can be transferred. And it's like, what is the role of humans on a planet with, with synths? there there is none and so and but the humans will be super pissed about that right and so there's this inherent conflict like it's not it's like well we'll go about our lives and 50 percent of the people in the city are synths and 50 percent aren't and you know like they even just have to come to an agreement about birth rates uh since how many new synths are you allowed to create at what rate and who's going to decide on that and is it a democracy and like I, I don't see how, I think the show is going on a much smaller level, even though it yeah. wants to go into the whole, the, the larger level, the small yeah. level is what's more interesting, but I feel like inevitably this show has to end by all, with all the synths being destroyed.
2: I don't know, I mean, I, I so going to the last episode, I, I felt like they were going to a place where they were going to have, I was expecting kind of a bold final episode where they decided to to basically light up all the synths in the world and give them all the code that would yeah, turn that, them into sentient beans. That is that is
1: the that is the only win strategy. Niska's gotta not only turn them all to sentient beans, but give them all a single mission which is kill Find all, every human kill you get all your humans. hands on and kill them.
2: Yes. <laughs> right, which is I love Niska. I love I love Niska. I love that you know when she's killing the people who are trying to kill the synths, trying with to beat bats. the synths out. And <laughs> uh, and then she learns how to um to play with the uh, little with little Sophie uh, at the end. Uh that was really hilarious and strange and creepy. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I expected that. And so what I I felt like the eighth episode, I felt like softened what it was going to do. Almost like it was well aware that it needed to play things out for the long game. And I had felt there had been so much dramatic tension leading up to a moment where they were going to decide what to do. And then in episode eight, they kind of like backed off it. Like, no, 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 not yeah. yet.
1: They, they just punted. Everyone has yeah. their separate agendas. The, yeah. the, the failed mommy bot cooperates enough to have the, uh, the, the final thing. And then Niska, you know, is going to do the thing that she does and goes her separate way. Kind of like she did in the middle of the season as well. Um, but since she did it before it 's like it just they just put things on pause because they know they have to have another season, like the end of the show, I think is is either uh you know the realistic end is all the sins are destroyed, and the uplifting end is all the sins are allowed to to become conscious, but they never show you what happens after that they're hmm, like right. and it goes out and all the sins become conscious and then we fade to black,
2: yeah, yeah, which is how I wanted season one to end was you know <laughs> they make all all of them sentient the end. You know, they don't for, have a budget for the, the, the all-out since human war like this show right, does not sure. have that kind of budget it doesn't it
1: doesn't have the right actors for
2: it well they just have a, mo- a montage of a whole bunch of uh, very nice english people um who are like nannies killing kids and
1: like <laughs> well the, the, the bot that takes care of william hurt is already a wrecking machine like that is the, that is someone needs to return that one because it does not have a good bedside man no what's, a, what's that <laughs> name the
2: uh vera that's the national health service bot i i yeah. I, I, I can't help but feel that there's some british Com- very British commentary on the bureaucracy of the National Health that uh, right, right. we're missing yeah. there.
1: <laughs> well, that's more, and also commentary on like the removing the humanity from people who
3: need care.
1: That like, yeah. note that he's no longer the pri- he's not the primary user; that the system is the primary user. Yeah,
3: I think you know. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I mean, I, I, this is another one where um, it kind of grabbed me in the first episode. I think they did a really nice job of world building um, very quickly in this one. And I, you know, gosh, I just, I, Odie was like a big, <laughs> was a hook for me. Like, I'm sentimental. I'm an, you know, I'm that kind of guy. There was just something so great to me about this idea that, you know, introducing uh, this idea that, you know, oh, it's not like robots are this, like, we get the 1.0 and everything's going to be perfect. Uh, no, no. It's like, there's all kinds of problems. And I just, I love the, the whole arc of, you know, the way that uh, prof- Professor Hobby, what's his name? Dr. Uh. That's his name in AI. What is he in this? William Hurt. William is, Hurt. It, there's something so poignant to me about this idea of, I know it's kind of corny, but the idea of this guy who's had, was it a stroke? Yeah, he had a stroke, so he's lost so some he's, his memories. So he's lost his memories. Odie is his outboard brain for certain memories, but it's unreliable. They're both – but like there's something so obvious but so beautiful to me about the relationship between these two broken machines. Yeah, it's the
2: the buddy picture of
3: the broken (laughs) But 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 I mean like there's something very poignant to me. Like if you've ever had anybody in your family with Alzheimer's, you know the heartbreak of the like one day out of 90 when they suddenly remember something extremely specific – but I, I think there's lots of ways that could... Yeah, it's a little mawkish, but I think they got it right. I think they really did, and that, for me, was a big emotional hook. I mean, I, I love the whole thing of the busy family and the slightly tuned-out dumb dad. Like, oh, God, what a passive-aggressive move. How could you go out and, like, buy a hot robot and bring it yeah, home that, while your wife's wife, out The wife <laughs> oh, is the man. most understanding wife on the planet.
1: She's like, oh, I, I suppose, I guess. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, they end up giving her, like... All I know, the, like, she, know. Has, she supposedly has a guilt. Her Her guilty secret is... Not yeah, that
3: was not realistic. as that was not as guilty of a secret they, as they, I expected. But they
2: they try very hard to give to 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 give the reasons why he d- does this and she doesn't react differently to it. And She's so, very understanding. Yeah, so well they give they give her <laughs> they give her her dark secrets and they also you know they make her seem really bad at the beginning where it's like you said you'd be gone for two days
3: and you were gone for five days and all yeah this but stuff. like her yeah exactly but her dark she, I thought she did try it, to call. But she did. She tried. But like her dark secret. I mean, the dark secret seemed to be that she was out of town, you know, to to find some mean bone. But the real dark secret is like she's misunderstood.
1: <laughs> right. She was. At, she was. You know. She was doing an emotionally difficult thing that she wasn't ready to tell her husband about, which seems weird. That like really, I don't understand how you would not yeah, that tell was weird. her. But what, but whatever. Like she she is very sympathetic, and he is kind of a doof.
3: He, yeah, oh, kind of. <laughs> yes. But, um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe, like I say, maybe I'm just mockish and sentimental as a person, but the whole thing of him wanting to keep Odie and like try to repair him and, and and, like that resonated with me. Like we, we've all, we've all had, I mean like, gosh, I've had iPhones I wanted to keep longer than, than, than worked. But like, it's, it's also just very emblematic of like the fragility of memory and the way that like, in this case, that the two of them together, like almost make a person with a memory. And, uh, I thought that was, I thought that was very, very moving. I like the fact that he also is not so addled that he
1: thinks Odie is like uh, like the people like no I need my replicant uh, my, my synth my synth is my friend he knows Odie is just a machine and not a very good machine and partly broken machine like because he helped create them he understands exactly what Odie is totally. he's under no illusions that Odie is his friend but he befriends Odie in the same way that like you know that uh what's his name, uh, befriends Wilson on the island and Castaway, right? Oh, Tom From Hanks. Hanks yeah. Right, but he never goes full Wilson where he thinks, you know, he never thinks Odie is a person, right? He understands that, that you know, that, again, it's his outboard memory, it's his only connection to his dead wife. Uh, he repairs him as best he can. He talks to him the way you might talk to a pet, where you know the pet doesn't really understand you, but you have long, complicated conversations about your dead wife with your dog, and your dog just looks at you and tilts <laughs> its head. It's fine. Like, Odie is not even as smart as your dog, right? But, he, you know, like you said, it's like the, it's like the pair of jeans that you, that you know, It's but plus uh, involving memory. So, and I like the fact that they get into, the adventures they get into together, he, he should have a, a helper bot that is more competent. He shouldn't be out... Driving in the car, or letting his synth, his broken synth, drive the car, and then like, you know, he, he, these are all very, you know, he's he's not making wise choices, but he's an old guy, and this is all he's got. He just wants to go out for a drive in the car, and it ends the way you expect it to end, and that just makes him all the more sympathetic. But I like the fact that it's not like he's the sane man in an insane world, and the uh, the health services bot is just trying to keep him down. No, he really does need help at home.
3: He really does. I also just want to put a vote in for Max. I, I, uh, I love that actor. Yeah. He, he like, gosh, would just, I, I don't know, maybe it's just, he's such a handsome man with such an expressive face, but like, to me, him as the face of the empathetic, you know, robot people, you know, cause they move a certain way with a certain lack of affect, but Max is so just naturally lovable. And like, I, he's another one where, you know, it's, I guess let's say the obvious a lot of this reminded me at times of Blade Runner and in some ways some of the characters actually the characters in, in Blade Runner in some ways but like you know I uh, I just think there's something I don't know there's just like you said with John like you said like you talk to a dog or you, <laughs> you realize this thing is not real like even though the and these people are aware that they're not people but that doesn't mean that they don't have these these feelings and I, I don't know I found that very affecting that guy was great I love Max Yeah, I really like
1: Anita, too, because she had to do the dual mode of like show what a synth (sighs) is like when it's not conscious and then show what it's like when it is conscious. And I think that they didn't do any changes in makeup. I think it was all just acting, you know, like when she's recharging in the chair and then a second she says, I'm in here and then goes back like it was great to see her transition from the I think she was the best at being robotic without doing the robot. Uh, Because she was on camera a lot, and she had to kind of figure that out. And then when she becomes the regular person, it's almost like, it's like, is that even the same actress when she's not in Anita mode, when she's in Mia mode? But Um, also,
3: there's also the whole thing of, like, you know, when you're kind of acclimating yourself to the show through the first, like, maybe three or four episodes. I don't know if, if you guys did this, but I found myself wondering, like, these are AIs. These are extremely powerful computers. Like, what they choose to expose to the family in terms of the output, may, you wonder how much that has to do with what they actually, Actually, quote unquote, no, like, obviously you see that the wife is like hiding around the corner in this case, you know, but like, you know, all along I kept wondering, like, how much is she assimilating that we don't know yet? And she has such a lack of affect, but it's not, it isn't, she's not like just quote unquote being a robot. There's something, uh, I thought that actress just killed it at being able to do these incredibly subtle things that kept you on the bubble of wondering like how much she knew and how much that humanity was like shining through.
1: Well, and, and it was there was an in story reason for that It was like the whole idea is the other consciousness was buried under there, right? But, you know, it, it was influencing. It's like you know, what does she know I'm scared of spiders? Uh, you know, does she, how does she reading these emotions? Uh, it, how did you know that that I would like to read the book to Sophie? You know, like the whole that I, that was a great early part of the season because you are put into the mindset of the wife, Laura. I think her name was, uh-huh. and say, like, is she hello, Laura. It, yeah, I mean, it's obvious reasons why she may be jealous and upset that her husband brings this, you know, sex bot into the house or whatever, right? Um, but on the other level, like, she's she's doubting herself. Like, am I just overreacting? You know, am, yeah, is Like, like is she actually... Is she
3: actively undermining me? Is she, right, like... like uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, and, like, is because the they so well established the world but it's like it's like wondering if your toaster is undermining you like oh, it, these are just appliances <laughs> everyone everyone knows how they work like the whole family knows oh they can't hurt people they're never going to do this they're never going to do that and yet here's this one that as far as she's concerned uh and again i think this is the thing that would that would be much more common but they had so firmly established the entire rest of the world totally believe these things are just like appliances then she's the only crazy one who thinks, I think it's, it's noticing more than... It. And it turns out it is noticing more, right? Because this is a special one or whatever. But in reality, if we had scents like this, everybody would think, the, think their scents are out to get them. No one would allow a sexy female scent into their house. Like, you know, these are... It's This is sci-fi that even getting beyond the fact that if we had the technology to create these synths, there'd be so many other technological implications that it wouldn't be just, it's just like our world but with synths because (laughs) if you can do a synth, so many, you know so you have to kind of carve out this, it's more of a fantasy scenario where like, take the the world as it is now and add this one magical thing but pretend it's not magic Uh, and don't think too much about the implications because we want to have a smaller story because we don't have the budget for the human synth war Um, if you can put all that out of your mind uh, I, I think the show holds together as, you know, as I said, as a gentle kind of uh, fun, sci-fi, uh, s- slow paced, uh, relaxing sci fi story that that episode one, I think like I don't think the series starts sh- slow because I think if you watch episode one and you're into sci-fi, you understand everything they're setting up. You understand sure. the tensions they're going to set up, and how. And you may not know how it's all going to evolve, but so, so many sort of pieces are put onto the board. That I, I, I was just excited by the first episode. I wanted to see how these pieces were going to move, and in the end, I think they just kind of dumped the board back into the box and folded the game up and said, come back in season two. But
2: <laughs> Anything more we should talk about, about humans? I love the little girl. What's her name? Sophie? Sophie. So, Sophie. Adorable. So cute. So cute and really love maybe it. too would, adorable. And I would watch the adventures of uh, you know Maddie and the uh, Maddie and the Synths in in computer right. hackers. Sophie and Niska.
1: Niska will be dismembering oh, people with it with uh, with pruning shears, and the little girl will be like, "Play dolls
2: with me." Yep. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd watch. It's that like show. their version yeah. of the road. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. It's a little girl and her mur- violent and, and murderous. And me and me robot. can be there too. I
0: would never let any harm come to Sophie. And they solve I'm, crimes.
3: I'm sorry, Sophie. I'm afraid I don't understand the question. <laughs>
0: Robot or not, robot or not. So, John,
2: are the synths and humans robots or not? (laughs) I, it's tough with the synths
1: because they make it seem like it's just kind of living skin. I don't know enough about what goes on inside them. Are they like the Terminator, where it's just a robot with living skin attached to the outside, or are they biological through and through with uh, mechanical enhancements? Uh, The special effects budget of the show says uh, we can't tell you because all we're going to show you is superficial skin wounds and blue blood. Uh, but why is there blood at all? And why is the blood blue? I'm leaning towards Cyborg for these guys.
2: I think there are organic parts in there.
1: I, yeah, because I can't. Cause why else would you have... I mean, is the blood just for the skin? Is it like a chia pet where it's just on the surface and inside <laughs> like it is a, like, like a robot?
2: L- lubricant for... <laughs> For for, but I, it seems like I, they have a circulatory know. system. Yeah. And
1: why do you, you, you need? Maybe you just need a circulatory system for the skin. I don't know. We don't know enough about what's inside these things. We haven't seen any of them sliced in half, so I can't make a call yet. But okay. it seems like it seems like cyborg to me.
2: All right, especially
1: sushi. especially if they're going to be convincing sex bots.
2: Interesting. Well, that's that may be true. Maybe that's what the uh, blue fluid is for. is like uh, we also don't know how much they weigh that we, if
1: we knew, if we had a density measure, like are they all like four hundred pounds because they're you know made of steel and stuff? I don't know.
2: Right, we'll have to stay tuned for season 2 where they won't reveal <laughs> yeah, any I'm sure, of that. I'm sure they're
1: going to have an episode
3: dedicated <laughs> to this. Yeah. It's going to be like alien autopsy but with saints.
0: Robot or
3: not. Yeah, I wish we had more time for humans. I got tons more to say about it. I didn't want to drag it out, but yeah. uh, I I thought it was I thought it was really good. I thought the last episode was was like Basically, Joe, like we both watched it. My yeah. wife and I were like, we're so excited after the ultimate. And I was yeah. like, that was really no, you ah. could feel them backing off of all the momentum.
1: If you if you thought about it, though, how could they end that without ending the series? Like it's like if you wanted to do the, the in the final, it's a big dramatic thing. It builds up, builds up. And then they're all conscious. And then you wait for season two. Then what the hell do they do in season two? They, right. don't, they don't have the budget I, for that. Think about they that. They can't. They can't do well, that.
0: that. That would be an interesting problem. I'd love to have that problem. But yeah. I mean, I'd rather have that problem than have the lose the momentum thing. Yeah, yeah. They just they,
1: they they just didn't lose it. They like they put the brakes they on. They stopped everywhere.
2: dead. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're afraid.
0: I felt they're
1: like, I felt oh, the fear there. We have to have season two. And then and then they had to screw with their character motivations because you're like you have to believe that the, the partner reveals herself to her partner and says, You're my favorite human, but then has this dark past, but then also wants to kill her synth family, but then changes her mind, I'm not gonna kill you, then I'm gonna help you, but then one of them is brainwashed and it's just like too much, too yeah. like too much stoppage, too many people doing things out of character just so you can nuke all your momentum and spread them
2: to the four winds or however many winds there are four all right I think we've come to the end it was a good summer with a couple really uh, outstanding uh, shows that you should uh, check out uh, if you haven't already and if you haven't you've been spoiled about them but you know some people do that so I'd like to thank my guests uh, for joining me to talk about Mr. Robot and humans David Lohr thank you thank you John Syracuse thanks for being here Uh, I was gonna say we forgot to talk about the pixie song and Mr. Robot but that's
1: okay it's in Fight Club, I hear. Yeah, I <laughs> thought it was a good cover. I thought it was respectful, and I didn't think it was cheap.
2: And Marlon Mann, thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, it's always nice. These are good shows. I'm gl- They are good. People should check them out. And I am Jason Snell, and I thank you for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next week.
3: Mr. Robot or not or not